This is Top Floor episode 107. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 107. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Tracy Prigmore is founder of TLT Solutions, a real estate investment company that started in residential and expanded to include hotels. Through TLT Solutions, Tracy serves as the general partner for investments that allow people, especially women and people of color, to build generational wealth as limited partners in real estate projects. In 2019, Tracy created She Has a Deal, which started as a pitch competition for early career women and is how I met her as part of the board and Shad Squad during the first few years. Shad has grown to include hotel investment education, a fund, and today's woman an additional competition for later career women. Tracy has been chosen as Person of the Year by Lodging Magazine, recognized as one of the 100 most powerful people in global hospitality by the International Hospitality Institute, and named Woman of the Year by Enterprising Women. Today, Tracy and I are going to talk about all the latest and greatest with She Has a Deal. But before we do, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and any random person off the street who has burning questions. And if you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Jennifer, and this is a perfect question for you. Here's the question. Why can't I manage my own hotel? I own it. I spent all the money. And it seems crazy to me that the brand is allowed to say that I am not allowed to manage it. Tracy, what do you think? Why can't Jennifer manage her own hotel? Well, very good question, Jennifer. I would say that I don't recommend it. (laughs) All right. Tell us more. (laughs) Well, I do understand Jennifer's question and why she would ask that. I asked the same thing. However, there are a lot of complex systems within the branded hotels. They want you to be successful and they want to be successful. And so I don't recommend starting out to manage your own hotel. But once you understand and learn all the systems, then you should be able to manage your own, ho- your own hotel because I believe, and I've experienced this, that no one cares more about your money than you do. Right. I mean, the brands are selling a system for operating a hotel that needs to be followed step by step in order to get the results that they promise you. And so if you as a first-time hotel owner and having never managed a hotel before decide to deviate from that system, there's no control over the results. You don't have a leg to stand on when you complain. 
And the brand may not have a good representative of their individual flag that you've purchased. Does does that sound right to you, Tracy? No, absolutely. And I really think that they're not... They're setting you up for success instead Mm -hmm. of failure to start. Exactly. You were a management consultant. And I know you stayed in hotels all the time doing that job, which I think partially inspired your interest in the business. Now that you were deep into it, into your hotel ownership and now management career, what are some of the things that you didn't know as a hotel guest that may or may not have impacted your decision? Well, I will start with saying I ran hospitals. So before I was a management consultant, I worked in operations at NYU Medical Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I worked deep into operations and I thought... Well, if I could operate a, ho- uh, a hospital, then a hotel is a piece of cake. <laughs> you know, it's a cash-based business. Whereas in the hospital, you know, we had to collect our money after we provided the service. So I thought, and I underestimated what it would take to operate a hotel. And what I didn't understand was all of the uh, distribution. So how the business gets to the hotels. And that's a complex avenue. So I meet a lot of people who say, oh, this will make a great hotel. We'll get this business and that business. And and they just think it's really simple. If I build it, they're going to come. And what they don't realize is that even if people want it to come, so if you think about the business guest who works for a company, and they have those relationships and, and contracts and agreements. And so they are channeled to certain hotels. And so they they have to go to that hotel. And that's a large portion of business. So I learned more about uh, the distribution channels and the cost of the distribution channels. And it's just not necessarily this free market of, I'm here coming to my hotel. So those are the things I didn't know. I I understood the brands, I understood the level of service, and I was quite comfortable uh, getting into the business knowing I could figure that part out. But it is a phenomenal (laughs) process of revenue management and uh, the distribution and getting uh, the demand into your hotel. That reminds me of when I have conversations with friends and family about hotels and they'll go to a city during peak demand, like the night of the big game or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And because all of the hotels are sold out, they're like, well, there need to be more hotels built here. Yes. And you're like, well, come back on a night when it's not, you know, a big game or whatever. And then you'll get a sense of what the reality of the business is like. Um, You mentioned your hospital career. And I think in some ways, She Has a Deal is modeled on a case competition that you created while you were there. I think that is still taking place. Can you talk a little bit about that and how the two are alike? Sure. Maybe different. So back in 1996, when I was 10... (laughs) Me too. I created the Everett V. Fox student case competition. And the goal was to increase the number of Blacks uh, that became executives in the healthcare administration uh, 
side of the business for, for healthcare. And so I created this case competition where we would help the, the students. It was all based, you know, student-based. We would give them a case study about a real, you know, hospital challenge or issue. And then they would analyze it and they would come back before a panel of judges and they would um, present their analysis and their recommendations to a panel of executives. And the, the goal was to elevate them in the space, so give them exposure to have them connect with industry leaders early in their career so that they could be mentored and, and really move into those executive positions uh, at a greater rate than was happening. Sounds familiar. Yeah, sounds familiar. <laughs> However, the difference between the two is that I looked at the pitch competition as being more of an entrepreneurial competition. So whereas the case competition was about elevating people on the corporate ladder in healthcare, the uh, She Has a Deal pitch competition is about creating more women who are hotel owners and developers. So that that's the comparison, but they have similarities in that we are making connections and that whole network and connection to a mentor, someone who's going to guide you and share, you know, their experiences, whether they're good or bad, they're willing to share their failures with you to help you keep from falling into those holes, you know, those holes that you don't have to fall into. Mm -hmm. The difference also between the two is that with the case competition, we weren't necessarily educating them. They were getting that in school. We would educate them on the back end after they, you know, after they presented their analysis, then we would say, well, here's what you should have taken a look at. Here's in reality what happened. Whereas with the pitch competition, we actually educate them on the front end. That's a good point I didn't think about because most, even the folks who are coming out of pretty intensive real estate programs or hospitality programs aren't learning how to pitch a hotel Correct. deal. They don't even know how to analyze a hotel deal. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about the pitch competition, and really when I started it, it wasn't about a pitch competition, Susan. It was about number one, exposing and inspiring young women to a profession and development. So giving them that insight to say, you can be a hotel owner, you can be a hotel developer, you don't have to just work for one. I wanted to expose and inspire them, but I knew it was critical that we educated them on how to do it. Mm -hmm. So everyone says, oh, just, just, just. And we know that it's not a just, just do this, just do that. <laughs> just raise $50 million in capital. No problem. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask my aunt Sue. And, and then I had a, I had a gentleman um, that I reached out to, to, to help me get into the business. And I kept saying, well, how do you start when you want to build a hotel? He's like, well, you just, you just build it. And I was like, no, I know that much. It's not right. <laughs> I mean, I need, I need the, the blanks, fill in the blanks for me. He really found it difficult uh -huh. to fill in the blanks. He started talking about entitlements, but he didn't go deep. It was just like, well, you have to get an entitlement. You have to. And for me, I needed more information in order to take on those risks and understand it. So I figured it out 
um, pretty much on my own with a little help from some friends. But I, my superpower, I believe, is taking these complex ideals and simplifying them, bringing them into frameworks and methodologies. And through our nine-stage hotel investment roadmap, we're guiding the women, you know, through the process and giving them that information, that knowledge that they need to go on their journey to ownership and to be successful. And so the education that we provide is not education that you could read in a book or that you learn in school. This is this education is purposely designed to be the education that you get from a mentor, somebody who's actually been through the entire journey, had mistakes, you know, had successes. They care about your success. So they're willing to share the mistakes that they made, the hacks, um, you know, the solutions they've had to get around barriers. They're willing to share that with you. And also they're willing to share with you their network. Because none of this is done by yourself. That's huge. So with this conversation, we are officially kicking off season five of both the pitch competition and Shad yes. Talk. Can you talk about Shad Talk and why it's important? Yeah. So um, I created Shad Talk during... Uh, and then you remember this, during our first <laughs> uh, pitch competition. I was in one of them. <laughs> yes. I don't remember what I said. You don't remember what you said. But I, yeah, I created Shad Talk and I borrowed a little bit from Sports Center. I thought, <laughs> wouldn't it be fun to, you know, analyze or, you know, talk about what we just saw? So the women are pitching. And, and we have to remember that these women are pitching when six months before they had no idea of how a hotel deal comes together. Mm -hmm. And now they're on the stage in front of investors and industry leaders pitching a real hotel deal, right? So Shad Talk was about uh, talking about, hey, how did they do? Uh, tell us more about that deal and what you think about that deal. Let's break that deal down. So I look at Shad Talk as a way to also uh, educate and inspire our audiences. So if they're understanding what's taking place, if they didn't know while they were watching, they have an opportunity uh, to listen to the commentary post-pitch and learn something and maybe, you know, bring it all together. Does anyone ever say like, eh, this deal's a stinker? You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, not necessarily as loud as they probably should sometimes. Uh -huh. uh, however, you know, there's little elements of it. You you, you can read between the lines sometimes <laughs> about it. The, the great thing, though, is when the women do pitch, they have been coached, right, before they're actually choosing the deal and pitching the deal. So for, for the most part, not always, the deals are pretty good for the most part. Makes a lot of sense. What are some of the Shad Talks that we can look forward to this time around? Because I know you're going to do it a little bit differently. Yeah. So this year, we're still going to be educating because we want to you know, expose and inspire the women young and... I hate to say old. Old. <laughs> young our age. Mature, our age. Young and mature. Uh -huh. It's never too late 
right? It's never too late to go after your dreams. You still can be a hotel owner at 50, 60, even 70, if you are ready to put in the work. <laughs> even 70 <laughs> like us. No, just kidding. <laughs> Not there yet. Thank goodness. But, hey, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to uh, continue to grow. <laughs> is that we, you know, we want to give them real talk about what it takes. So when I was in college and I was in a sorority and they used to say, you can't skate your way to Delta. So it's supposed, Delta was in my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta, you know, we're special, you know, and it's, it's hard, you know, we even had songs, it's hard to get to Delta because it's a special pinnacle of success. And, and so when I talk to people, I want to talk real to them. Like some people think it's sexy to own a hotel. And I right, like it's a vanity people, project, like right. a restaurant or whatever. <laughs> right. And they're like, oh, wow, you know, want to own a hotel. And that's great. However, it's work. And I don't want to fool anybody into thinking that you just get a hotel <laughs> and everything is great. Right. You know this. Uh-huh. And so through our shad talks this year, I want to put more real talk into it. So we talked technically over the previous years. But I want to talk real talk. I want the women to be exposed, women and the men, whoever um, tunes in, that there will be problems, but you can get over those problems, right? So if you go into this thinking everything's going to line up and be perfect, uh -uh. entrepreneurship (laughs) is not like that. Hotel ownership is not like that. Where should we go to get a list of speakers? So you can go and see who's going to be on our Shad Talks at shehasadeal.com on the website. We'll link to that in the show notes. Okay, great. And um, the important thing though, is that I am really pulling from the alum of She Has a Deal. Oh, cool. So a lot of our our Shad Talks will include some participants, those who have closed hotel deals, those who are still in the process of getting to that uh, hotel, you know, deal closure. Uh, those who are still aspiring, I am bringing a lot of them to the table, but also bringing some of those uh, luminaries who support the women on the journey, some from judges to lenders, and you know, everyone in, be- in between that's a part of the process that are really there to support the women and provide real deal information about how it really works. One of the first ones coming up is about when your dreams become a nightmare. <laughs> Do, is that from personal experience, Tracy? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So that's twofold though, Susan. So one part of it is, again, I want people to know that things will happen, but you can get through them. That's one. But two, it's also, I want to speak to the people who don't even start because there are some people uh, who want to do it, but they have fears. So we're going to be talking about the fact that, yes, you have fears. It's okay. It's natural to have fears. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you will overcome your fears. But what I will say is you can manage your fears. We're going to talk about you know, those fears and managing the fear, but taking the steps, no matter where you are, take steps. 
That's what I like to say. So don't sit back like I did for several years with the fear of my fear was raising money. I felt very comfortable that I could do the operations, that I could figure the part out. I had run um, hospitals and other you know types of healthcare facilities. So um, operationally, I felt, hey, I can figure that out. But what I can't do is come up with $3.6 million. <laughs> Every bank account I checked, that wasn't adding up to $3.6 <laughs> So it was really about uh, raising the capital to close on the deal. And that held me back from taking the steps forward because I kept saying, well, what happens if I can't get the money? What happens if I don't raise the money? Finally, I just said, you know what? Shut. My mother used to say this, put up or shut up. Mm-hmm. I needed $3.6 million. I had no idea. I had 600, Susan. That's it. I had no idea where the other 300 was going to come from. And what I like to tell people is that you don't know who's going to show up until you step through that door. And so while it was tough and I had, you know, stressful nights, it was amazing. I went to my core group and then it was amazing how many people brought other people to the table and the number of people I met who are friends today that I didn't know when I started their investor, I call them investor friends. You know, Mm -hmm. we have a a friendly relationship. Investees. Investees. And, and what I learned from that process is that yes, raising capital is not my favorite part of this, this journey. However, I, I felt like I met my tribe. And what I mean by that is in talking with people about my vision of empowering people to build wealth through real estate, I met other people who had a similar um, vision or mission. And whether it was for themselves or other people, that we connected on that. And so the fear of losing other people's money is still there. And I do everything in my power to make sure that we succeed. However, you want them to understand it's an investment. And many of them do, and some won't. But this isn't an investment, and you may lose your money. This sounds like a good time to remind you that Cherish Tours is planning a bunch of once-in-a-lifetime trips including a Nordic getaway that includes three countries, a glamping trip to an out-of-the-way spot in Utah, and a safari in Tanzania. Cherished trips are designed for women of all ages and walks of life to have transformative adventures without the hassle of planning or traveling alone. One of the coolest parts about traveling with Cherish is that the excursions, the lodging, the meals are all arranged with local women in business. So you get an experience that is far more unique than a generic package tour. What I liked most of all was hanging with the other women on the trip. It was so gratifying to realize that we could have a blast together, despite the fact that we came from very different backgrounds and perspectives. So if you want to have an experience like this, it's very easy to get started. The trip deposit is $500 and Cherish Tours offers payment plans to help you save up. 
Visit Cherish Tours to get all of the details. And just for Top Floor listeners, you can use the promo code TOPFLOOR to get $100 off. That's GoCherishTours.com, promo code TOPFLOOR. Okay, back to the show. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some practical, specific tips that they can try in their businesses or their lives. I see a lot of different types of first-time hotel deals. And it, you know they range from like an old house that someone wants to turn into an inn to a new construction branded hotel from the dirt up. What do you think are two or three characteristics that, in your opinion, make up the best type of first hotel deal? That's a hard one. Like if everyone knew the answer, they'd all be doing it right. But what about from your perspective? Well, from my perspective, it's simple. Your first hotel deal should be a deal that you could get closed. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, that's a great answer. I, yes. And so we all start at different places. Some of us start with more capital of our own at-risk capital than others. Uh, some of us come to the table with a little bit of or a lot of operational experience. Some of us come with real estate and investment experience. And I would say that I would start with a project that's manageable for you, one that you have the equity for already or you're comfortable that you could raise the equity needed to close. So that would mean from a price point perspective. And also one that you can understand how it operates, how the money is made. Any investment, we need to understand the business model. How does this hotel make money? Where is the money coming from? You know, and that's what I learned during the process is not just where's the money coming from someone rents a room, but where are the people who are renting the rooms coming from? Gotcha. And what are they willing to pay? How has owning hotels changed the way that you travel? I've always loved to travel. And because I am a Hilton and Marriott franchisee, I do, for the most part, majority of the time, stay at Hilton's and Marriott's. And that's because of the discount. I mean, <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> we have reached the fortune telling portion of the show. So you're going to tell the future and then I'll come back and tell you if you were right or not. <laughs> Just, okay. What sure. is a prediction that you have about the future of hotel ownership? So I believe there's going to be more consolidation and more. How can there be more? Be more. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And or do you mean on the owner side? On the owner side. Okay. Yes. And of course, this is for ownership, right? So, so on the brand side, I am a little tired of the growth of the number of brands. And I think there's a lot of brand confusion. And I, I do understand for them, it's grow, grow, grow more, more, more. However, for from a consumer standpoint, it may be just a little too much, in my opinion. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong on that. Yeah, it's too confusing. Yeah, it gets too confusing. However, it's the marketplace and some will survive, some may not survive. But from the ownership side, I do, as a small owner, a boutique owner, as someone once told me, <laughs> um, I am a little concerned for the consolidation of these large conglomerates of ownership. So hotels used to be the mom and pop asset class in real estate. 
and gave room for people like myself to enter to the space. And now you're seeing much more Wall Street, large private equity group ownership, and they keep growing and acquiring smaller groups. And so we may see really large ownership groups and just a smaller number of small, I'm using the word mom and pop, but you know what I mean? No, I know exactly what I mean. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. We may need to do a whole other show about that. Yeah. So that, that's, I mean, you know, that could add some more headwinds for those that we're working with to get into the space. However, the bright side, I believe, is that the brilliance of women has not yet fully penetrated the hotel industry or the hospitality industry. And if we can solve for that, and that's what we're working on with She Has a Deal, to get more women into ownership and development where the brilliance of women can be experienced by the world, we may see a whole nother level or a whole nother type of lodging that's available that will take the market by surprise. That's my prediction. Very right? exciting. If you could Does wave a ma- yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about breakfast in hotels, what would it be? Breakfast. Uh, so it depends on the level of hotel because I think some of the hotels actually get it really well with the breakfast, all the breakfast choices. I would just say, I think we just need to have breakfast available at every hotel. Now, as an owner, that scares me from a cost perspective. <laughs> you mean included in the price? Included in the price. Okay. Because everyone needs a good breakfast. However, the breakfast does need to include more protein, less carbs. Agree. More gluten-free options, uh, more organic options, and healthy options. So when you talk about select service breakfast, some of them are a little disgusting. <laughs> I don't know where you go. Or, you know, I really can't eat it. I can't eat it. Uh, I'm working, you know, toward health and wellness and food is a big part of that. And I think a lot of people also are moving in that direction. So if I create a boutique hotel, my breakfast will work toward the wellness and the consciousness of healthy eating and, you know, less on love a good muffin, but less on the breads, you know, and more on like the fruits and the, and the proteins, the healthy proteins, the green drinks without the sugars, mm-hmm. right? Just things that are healthy that nourish our bodies. But I think that it would be um, important for all hotels to have a breakfast for... See, I'm with you about the more protein, especially because... Mm-hmm. That I, if it's just like a waffle and syrup, I can't have that. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, But I think that no hotel should include breakfast. I think they should all be for a fee because I think if you charge, you can offer better stuff. And if we could get, I mean, this is like a, you know, 
wish upon a star situation, sure, right? Sure. But if we could get the traveling public to stop expecting breakfast to be included, then I think we could have a better option for everyone. I don't know. It's probably no, like no, a very I, I, naive, wishful thinking on my part. I'm, I'm on both sides, right? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> as an owner, I don't want to have, I don't want to have to serve breakfast. Uh-huh. From a cost perspective, from a margin predictability, right? Like, well, plus but, it puts you in the position of having to serve the cheapest, most low right, quality right. food available to make your margin. Exactly. But from a guest, because <laughs> we talked about travel in the previous question. Yes. I was just in Portugal and stayed at a Hilton and they had the most wonderful breakfast every morning. I enjoyed not being nickeled and dimed around eating. And so I could float. I literally mm-hmm. floated <laughs> around the buffet and I, you know, was picking and choosing every day, something different and, or maybe, you know, just a little nibble of this, a nibble of that. That's the part I really enjoy about uh, a complimentary breakfast on vacation. Mm-hmm. But when I put my owner's glasses on and I'm walking around that buffet, I'm like, oh, y'all shouldn't serve that. I mean, or that tray is too full. That half of that is going to get wasted. Put it away. Are you burnt the bacon? That's uh, I'm like, that's $50, right? Oh, God. No kidding. So definitely different perspectives, depending on what side I'm on. And I'm, you know, I'm always on the look. One or the other. Yeah. Savings or values. So what is next for you and what's next for She Has a Deal? Well, we are growing our portfolio. And as you know, we we still have uh, SFR or single family rentals in our portfolio and vacation rentals and hotels. Hotels would be the largest from a um, value uh, perspective. And we, we will continue to stay in you know hospitality and grow the portfolio on the hotel side of the business. However, I am seeking to add a second uh, primary asset class, you know, to the portfolio. And I had intended to focus on uh, medical health and medical before before COVID hit. And so I'm off path there. And as you know, diversification was important to me, but not being too diversified. I want to have two asset classes of focus because i believe that you you know when you uh, focus and you're best in class right you're really great at something you're going to be successful regardless of how the market will ebb and flow you'll figure out the, you know the best way uh, to move about that asset class but i do believe two asset classes we'll always have our single family rentals we've strategically sold a lot of those but um, i'm looking to acquire more hotels and add that second asset class, which we are trying to work on figuring out what's what's the best fit. Now, you know, we bought a winery and mm-hmm. a vineyard. So that was not Yes, I wish I was there with you right now. <laughs> I know. It, and it's, I'm looking at the one. It is beautiful. It is, and it's just been a, a wonderful week. Just rub week it in, woman. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, out there with the uh, harvesting grapes, Sauvignon Blanc this yeah, morning. So cool. And I was bottling earlier this week. So just learning that business. So, you know, it's a learning curve to learning that. And we wouldn't enter that without a partner. So we entered with a wine um, brand partner because, you know, I, we didn't know the wine business. I wouldn't have mm-hmm. 
gotten into the wine business otherwise, but it has a you know large luxury, you know, not large, a small luxury in on the property. And that was the interest for me was the real estate play, you know, with the in. And so we're getting into understanding boutique and independent with this process and how you market for that, how you create the systems, et cetera. So that um, is in itself is is definitely growing me in the lodging space around how you how you bring business to an independent hotel because it's very different than owning the Hilton and the and the Marriott and and so but we are uh, we're working on new construction projects so we have two one is a uh, True by Hilton in Redlands California and then we have uh, Hyatt Place in uh, Coral Springs Florida that we're working on and so we'll continue to grow uh, the hotel portfolio and um, and look for that secondary asset class. And then for She Has a Deal, oh my goodness, Susan, like you know me from before. You know you know me when I had this epiphany and this vision mm-hmm. for She Has a Deal. And it was a passion project, right? It was a passion project. Yeah. It was like a little that, side thing. It was a side thing to <laughs> be a, you know, I'm a servant leader and to help other women get into the business. I wanted other women not to have the challenges I had getting into the business and growing in the business, but it is a passion project gone wild. <laughs> and so what I would say for She Has a Deal is we're in it. <laughs> it's a it's a whole secondary business that's complementary to the core business. And so my focus for She Has a Deal is continuing to bring more women into the fold of ownership and development, as I mentioned, because the world is yearning for the brilliance of women to be, uh, for them to experience the brilliance of women in all aspects of hospitality and the products and the services. And so I want to be a part of that transformation. This year and next year is really focused on making sure that the capital is available for the women to bring those you know, those products to life, you know, to make them a reality. And that's a hard, hard, hard part. I mean, I have not cracked that nut yet Mm -hmm. as to how we do that. Um, We have a fund. We're raising for that fund. It's slower uh, than I expected, but I know that it's the right thing to do is to get that proactive capital, uh, the availability of that capital to the table to invest in women-led projects, everyone says the same thing. I'm having trouble raising the capital, whether it's debt or equity. And so we can solve for that, for the projects that are feasible, that make sense if we have this fund that invests in women-led projects. So I've even been contacted about a project as far as Morocco. Oh my gosh. In Marrakesh. So we're working on that now. Um, with a, a private equity partner. So more to come on that. Hopefully we can you know, get uh, some capital to the table for this woman who only already owns the hotel. She has been successful, but needs to expand and, you know, and needs the capital partners to expand. So I'm, I'm really excited about looking into that opportunity, but I think there's opportunity you know, in the US and across the world. Okay, folks, before we tell Tracy goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. 
going down. Tracy, what is a story that you would only tell me on the loading dock? When we had a third-party management company, whenever I would see the um, SVP's phone number on my phone, I'd take a breath. Mm-hmm. Because it was, it was always a weekend. It's always a weekend. And when I see his number on a weekend, I take a breath because I'm like, because we have regular calls. So got a call <laughs> on a Sunday after oh. church. And he says, Tracy, we had a fire. <laughs> no. Had a fire at the hotel. And my heart was just like, oh my God. But it's under control. You don't have to worry. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Before you heard about it in the newspaper or whatever, right? Did the whole hotel burn out? Like, what in the world? (laughs) So we had a guest. And, you know, with all the new laws around uh, marijuana being whatever. So everyone thinks it's illegal. Illegal other places. Everybody wants to smoke marijuana in the hotel room. Yes. (laughs) Now more than ever. (laughs) It's not acceptable in the hotel room. I don't care what the law says all around us. So these two women were in the room smoking and uh, the front desk received a call from, I guess, the neighbor of the room and was complaining because it uh, it does fumigate. And so the women were asked to leave, uh, stop or, or leave. And there was a confrontation at the front desk, you know, with the woman saying she was not going to leave and <gasps> blah, 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 blah. And she could, smoke, blah, you know, attitude, everything. And so they said, no, we're going to have to call the police if you blah, blah. So oh, no. we went back to the room and took a match and purposely let the trash can on fire. At, to punish the hotel. To punish for the hotel. Out. <gasps> and uh, then ran her they ran out the door and took off oh my the gosh whole, the room was on fire not the whole room right just the trash can but it caused the smoke detectors and sprinklers, the sprinklers. the fire trucks came and you know if there's fire the that's what they're trained to do i get it it was just a trash can but they bolted down the door and they sprayed everything oh gosh uh, it was just so damaged two full rooms for a trash can fire <laughs> because some women wanted to smoke marijuana in their room. Yeah. So it, you know, so <laughs> did they get arrested? Like what happens when there's some sort of property damage like that in general? Do, can you file a police report? Like what do you do? Or do yeah, you just go I through mean, your insurance? Re- yeah, there was a, there was a police report and, um, Thank goodness, right? It wasn't like any, it, well, it was a major, we had to redo the room, but no one was hurt or, you know, it, it just damaged the two rooms. And really the one room, it was the second room because of the fire department. <laughs> that was a problem with all the water uh, seeping through. And it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a complete, but we, um, we did file the police report and then we turned it over to our insurance company and they decide if they're going to pursue. And so I, you know, I was thinking about that. I'm like, I don't even know what happened? I know I had to pay the deductible, uh, and that that you know that has an impact on your rate for the next the next year. So I always thought think about not filing the re, you know the report, but because of you know extensive amount of damage and because it was arson essentially, 
right? Exactly. Um, but then I'm sure that it was two it. small potatoes for the insurance company to go after. See, this is where yes. my yes. petty switch gets flipped because I would be finding those people and I would be going to their house and collecting some cash to pay that deductible. <laughs> well, no, that's, I mean, that's what I believe should happen uh, because we did have their, you know, their information on file. So yeah, I'm not, and I, I'm going to find out what the insurance company, they probably didn't because it does cost more to pursue probably, but they should be charged with something. I mean, to intentionally light a fire. That is why I mean, it, it could have hurt other people, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean thank goodness we have safety precautions in hotels. And that's the difference, you know, when we talk about, you know, staying at an Airbnb or a hotel, like we have to follow strict fire safety guidelines. And we are, we test every month, right. Mm -hmm. To make sure that they're working and we get upgraded and all these different things and the way that things are built, all of that protects, you know, immediately everything went off immediately. The sprinkler sprinkler went, you know, Right, so, of course. Yeah, they didn't have oh, to. Oh, it just spray. doesn't seem fair. <laughs> like I would just want to go and yell at those women. Yes. I don't think I planned for that. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Think about all those, you know, types of things that can happen. But you know, we it's a business and I'm sure there's many things in all businesses. Nothing like hotels. There is nothing like hotels. Tracy Brigmore, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners learned a lot and I appreciate you writing up to the top floor. Thank you for having me, Susan. It was a pleasure. Always good to see you. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 107. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all-around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 